May the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. A few jobs ago, Bonnie and I worked for the Methodist Church as parish development workers, and that meant uh, we worked with parishes for a two-year period using a process that we'd got from Australia, helping them think what changes they would need to make to their culture if they really did want to be welcoming for young people. We had been the Methodist resource workers for the district of Waikato and the Bay of Plenty, uh, but just kind of running youth programs in the end wasn't making a lot of difference because in the end the, the parishes themselves weren't super welcoming, as most parishes aren't. Uh, so we were helping them reflect on that. And we'd come to the end of that two-year process um, and we needed some more parishes who were going to take part in this. So we did a presentation at the Methodist Synod. Uh, they have about four or five a year. And um, we'd invited one or two of the, of the ministers to talk about what that process had been like for their parish. And one of them uh, gave a good little talk, but he was really honest. He was way too honest about just how hard a process it had been and how much work it had taken. And one of our oversight group members said at the end, we're not going to get any more takers. And he was right. We got no more takers. He just didn't sell it. I had that same feeling as I read today's gospel reading. I read it and went, oh, Mark, Mark, <coughs> you're being way too honest here. Really? This is how you tell the story? Like, you're trying to convince us that Jesus is something special and this is how you tell the story? Come on. Well, what is the story that he is telling so who can remember all the way back to last week and what I talked about then? It's a bit of a test. Peter remembered there was a map. There was a map. All right. Anyone else remember anything else? Very depressing, isn't it? So I took... It had red circles. The map was kind of an introduction, but never mind. So, um, that's right. I remember one sermon where Jeff, Jeff Crawshaw was the preacher, and at the end of it he went, right, I made three points. If you'd just like to turn around and talk about those three points with each other. And I sat there going, there were three points? Oh, my God. <laughs> he didn't get a lot of response on that. He should have reminded us what the three points were. Anyway, last week we talked about how Jesus said... So Pharisees and scribes had come down from Jerusalem. Some of his disciples weren't doing the ritual washing up to the elbows before they ate. And he said, there is nothing outside a person that can defile, but the things that come out of a person are what defiles them. Which to us makes a lot of sense, but in his context was radical. Radical, radical, radical. So, for a start, that meant his disciples could eat without washing their hands first. And not the kind of personal hygiene washing their hands, but actually the whole washing up to their elbows every time they went near food and all the rest of it. He was saying they didn't have to do that. And Mark said that meant that all food was clean. No food was unclean. And Matthew and Luke didn't agree with him on that one. And we know from Acts and Galatians that that continued to be a very big topic of division within the church for a long time. Can 
Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians eat together? And for a lot of people, the answer was no. But even more radical than that was the possibility that you could eat with unclean people. And we know that Jesus did that because in Luke's gospel, that's what gets him into trouble. That's why he's crucified. He kept eating with the wrong people, with unclean people. And when you eat with somebody, you honour them and you bless them. And you're not supposed to honour and bless unclean people. But it raises some other possibilities. Like, does this include non-Jews? Can you eat with non-Jews? Like all of those other things, well that was all about Jews. But can you eat with non-Jews? And even more disturbing... Is a Gentile heart as acceptable to God as a Hebrew heart? Now we would say yes, but for people of his time, that's a very disturbing question. And then immediately Jesus leaves and goes into a Gentile area. And there's no mention of the, of the disciples, the two stories we heard today. Which is unusual for Mark. There's usually lots of mention of the disciples. But they're missing from these two stories. And if we read between the lines and use our imagination, it would seem that Jesus is knackered. And he's just over the demands that people are making on him. The crowds and his disciples. And he's gone somewhere where no one will know who he is. Because it's a Gentile area. No Jews. And he's hoping just to be able to be incognito and have a rest. Except he still looks like a Jew, because he's dressed like a Jew. So he's not dressed like the Gentiles. And this woman sees him, and other people see him. A desperate, desperate woman. Whose daughter is possessed. And we know from other stories in the Gospels that when you're possessed... You, are, you exhibit lots of antisocial behaviour and people aren't very enthusiastic about being around their antisocial behaviour so you end up being pushed out, ostracised, removed from the community. And maybe, maybe as the mother, she too has been pushed out from the community. And so like any good mother, she is desperate for her daughter desperate for her to be healed, desperate for her to be restored to the life of the community. And maybe she was desperate for the same thing for herself. She wanted her life back. And so she comes and begs of this Jewish rabbi, a Gentile, coming to a Jew for help, which is unthinkable. That doesn't happen. But worse, she's a woman. And there's no mention of a man in the story, so she's unchaperoned. And she speaks. Now, just think about conservative Middle Eastern society today and then place the story in that society. Women don't talk to men 
if they are not members of their family. They certainly don't initiate conversation with them and they certainly don't interact with them without a male chaperone. But this woman has gone without a chaperone and has initiated that conversation. It's very, very risky behaviour. It breaks so many social conventions. It breaks all the rules, all the traditions of the elders. And Jesus responds to this desperate behaviour by saying, stand in line and take your turn. The children get fed first. If there's any left over, the dogs get it. I'm sorry. What did he just say? Did he just respond to this desperate woman and call her a dog? That's exactly what he just did. And this is Mark trying to convince me that this is the Son of God who just called this desperate woman a dog. I'm pretty sure, Mark, you could have done a way better job of telling the story. Mark Matthew does. He knocks all the rough edges off. He blames all the bad thoughts on the disciples. But in this version, there are no disciples. Well, some people try to explain it away. They say, well, Jesus is just testing to see how strong and deep her faith is before he heals the daughter. And other people point out this is a form of irony uh, because the Greek there is really talking about puppies, but not cute little puppies like we have. The puppies were allowed inside the house. The dogs weren't. And uh, the dogs weren't pets. The dogs just roamed everywhere and ate the scraps. But the puppies were allowed into the house so they could be protected from the dogs and didn't get eaten. So there's a bit of wordplay going on there. But some people just think that Jesus is being rude. That we're seeing the human side of him. Jesus, fully human, fully divine. There's no divine at this moment. It's just fully human. And we're just getting the full lot of it. All the commentaries I read are online. And that means they have the capacity if they want, and not all of them take it, but some of them offer it, of allowing people to ask questions and to leave comments. And usually you might get one question or comment On this week's Gospel reading, there were lots on all the sites that offered that capacity. Mostly by women, women who had degrees in theology, who were pastors in churches, who preached on a weekly basis, and they were going to have none of this. None of this trying to let Jesus off the hook. Not on your life. This is not how you talk to desperate women. Pastoral 101, he got an E- at at this moment. He is being callous, he is being rude, his actions are uncalled for. In fact, he's just been outright racist. Which is a little disturbing, because Jesus is supposed to be without sin. And, I don't know, in some of our books, racism is a sin. So at this point, he is being sinful. Which does all sorts of nasty things to our theology. The sad thing is that actually for Mark and Mark's community and the people who were hearing the story, he was just behaving as he should. He isn't the rude one here. The woman is the rude one. She is the one who came to him. 
She is the one who has stepped outside of the boundaries and has initiated a conversation with him, which is uncalled for, and she needs to be put back in her place. So his response is appropriate. Rude woman, stepping out of line, put her back in a place. You do not do that. And then, shock and horror, she doesn't just put a tail between her legs and go back. She stands up to him and answers, But even the children, even the dogs get the crumbs from the children's table. Up to this point, we have had Jesus, the fully human Jesus, brought up by devout parents in a small Jewish community who understood his ministry, radical as it was, within very clear boundaries. It was to the Jewish people, to no one else. And so he doesn't have time for this Gentile woman interrupting his rest. When this woman responds to him, this very neat boundary that he has understood his ministry to gets, well, cracked, shattered. She rocks his world. Normally, it's Jesus who is healing people and opening people's eyes and ears. The next story, be opened. But in this story, it's Jesus whose eyes are opened. He stops seeing her as a rude Gentile woman and sees her as a person. As a woman who has risked much to seek his help. And he sees that her Gentile heart is as acceptable to God as his Hebrew heart. And he responds. The demon is cast out and the daughter is thrown on the bed as the demon leaves. He doesn't go to the house. There are a couple of stories in Mark's Gospel where Jesus heals Gentiles. He never goes to the house. The next story is another Gentile because it's in another Gentile area. It doesn't say he takes him into the house. It just said in private. At that moment... Jesus learns that the reign of God plays by nobody's rules but God's. Not even his. Not even Jesus' rules. The reign of God plays by nobody's rules but God's. We normally describe Jesus as compassionate and Generous, offering hospitality and healing. But in this story today, we're showing a side of Jesus being grumpy and intolerant 
And this is changed by a Gentile woman who took some great risks and stood up to him. It's followed by a story of Jesus healing another Gentile person. And the section ends with Jesus feeding 4,000 Gentiles. It's a pivotal moment in Mark's Gospel. A pivotal moment where the reign of God, the mission of Jesus, is suddenly expanded from just the Jewish people to all people. It's a very important moment for Mark. So who are the Syrophoenician women speaking to us today? I mean, here we are in the church, and I think most of us have a pretty clear idea about what the reign of God looks like and about what mission looks like, and it's in a very neat and tidy box. Who are the the Syrophoenician women who are breaking that down? So here's a couple of ideas, and then I'll give you a chance to talk to your neighbour about it. Uh, This week I went to the Ministers Association meeting, which I do every now and again. I take a deep breath and hope it's going to be okay. And, uh, but you know, we are all one, so I better go. And uh, they had, and mostly it's okay, to be honest. Um, but we had a guest speaker, so it wasn't that great. And um, the guest speaker is uh, part of an organisation that is concerned about um, the failing Christian influence in our society. And he gave some examples of that that just annoyed me, but never mind. And um, he runs, uh, so he's trying to get people engaged in. Um, in evangelism, and they um, put on ads on TV uh, for Easter and Christmas, uh, trying to tell good Christian stories, and um, and they run a conference called Engage. And um, one of the seminars in that conference is by Gordon Copeland, who was an MP. Um, he was a United Future MP, and then he jumped that party and became set up his own party. And then that didn't work, so he set up another party, and then he got kicked out of Parliament. Uh, and that's why we, one of the reasons why we now have the uh, Walker Jumping Bill going through Parliament, um, people like him. And he um, has done some research on Helen Clark. Now, apparently, Helen Clark was part of a feminist group at Auckland University when she was there, and they kind of worked out this charter of what they wanted to see changed in New Zealand society. And then they set about changing that. And he says that they have achieved all their goals but one. I don't know what their goals were and I don't know what they haven't achieved yet. And in that group were a future Prime Minister, Helen Clark, future Speaker of the House, and a future Governor-General. So this was quite, quite the group and they have had a profound influence. And so they're going to run this seminar both as an example of um, what bad ideas they had and uh, also how a small group of people can radically change a society and how we could do the same. And I wondered, as I, I mean, I hadn't done so much thinking about this reading until later on that day, but as I read this reading in light of that seminar, I went, ooh, I wonder, naughtily, whether that group of women are our Syrophoenician women, whether they're actually speaking to us and breaking down our very clear and safe ideas about what, churches and missioners and the reign of God looks like and how they are helping us see actually that the reign of God doesn't obey anyone's rules but God's and we need to let go that would go down like a bucket of coal something with that group but I wonder that 
Disturbingly, over the last week, refugee quotas have got back into the media. I thought this was all sorted and we were just going to double it, but, but our good friend Winston has put it back on the agenda. And he says there are too many big issues in New Zealand uh, that we need to deal with first. Well, we've had a, the same quota since the 1980s and we still haven't dealt with those issues, so it sounds like just an excuse, really. And that's the problem in terms of the developed world Refugees per head of population, we are at the bottom of the list. So when we look down our noses at Australia and how they treat their people trying to be refugees, they look down their noses at us and go, when you take anywhere near the same number of refugees per person in your country, which at the moment you are so far short of, then you can comment about us. Until then, zip it. You have no grounds to comment. I think we'd need to be somewhere near where the Greens want to take our refugee quota before we could comment on Australia. And they want to, what is that, five or six times the quota to get, like Australia is miles ahead of us. And I wonder whether these refugees are the same thing. The Syrophoenician woman speaking to us about generosity and hospitality and justice, reminding us about those things and inviting us to be much more generous and much more hospitable with those who are the outsiders. And maybe as we learn to accept more refugees, we actually learn to take more notice of what's happening in our country and deal with some of those issues as well and not just use refugees as an excuse to do nothing. So there's... Two examples of maybe Syrophoenician woman speaking to us as a church about the reign of God follows nobody's rules but God's, shaking us up. So what do you think about that? What do you think about what I've said? Do you have any other ideas about who the Syrophoenician women are in our world today? Turn around, have a conversation. We're not going to do the creed. We're just going to talk about how we experience God and those things, and then we'll have our prayers. So have a conversation with your neighbours.